Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Now today's sermon is the second series, second in the series, Say What? Exploring difficult topics in scripture and their meaning. And today's topic is wait. Is there really a devil? Our scripture story today, no surprise, is the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness by the devil. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, beginning with the first verse. Let us listen for God's word for us today. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have believed in the devil since I was a young child. He had horns and a tail. He was loud and he ran around in circles like he was crazy, because he was. And he beckoned you, this was his gesture, he beckoned you to come join him on the dark side. You see, the devil I knew was the Duke Blue Devil, a disturbing mascot for children. And I'm sorry, Matthew, wherever you are. I talked to some kids after 9 o'clock, and they thought that the Torchy's taco mascot, similarly disturbing to them as well, and they don't like the tacos. They're too hot. So, but this is why I chose a college with a better mascot. I became a demon deacon at Wake Forest University. Go Deeks! Ignore that. Honestly. A demon-possessed church leader, mascot, is only half a step better than the devil himself. I admit this. But truly, I've picked up more talk about the devil from ACC basketball 
been from church. Have you ever heard a sermon about the devil? Choir, you have all heard a lot of sermons about the devil. Okay, a few. It was, it was at a Baptist church, right? No. <laughs> Records were checked, and the closest we have gotten to mentioning the devil in a sermon here at Preston Hollow was a passing mention of deviled eggs. So we do leave the devil to the Baptists, to the evangelicals, to the non-denominational folks. I mean, some of them love to talk about the devil. I mean, almost as much as they talk about Jesus. Yet, friends, there is a space for us. As Presbyterians, as mainline Protestants, followers of Jesus, neither ignoring the devil's existence on the one hand, nor obsessively focusing on him on the other, For we believe that the devil is real and is an alternative to Jesus and his kingdom. And listen for this later in the service during the baptismal questions to the parents. You'll hear about evil and the devil. And we also believe that the devil is the leader of all evil. So in today's sermon, we'll learn about the devil by exploring three questions. First of which, who is the devil according to the Bible? What does, the, does Jesus teach us about the devil from today's scripture passage? Second. And third, how can we respond to evil and the devil in our daily lives? Torchy's taco visits aside. So let's get started. Our first question, who is the devil in the Bible? This is a question of context. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for the devil is Satan, the adversary. That's what that word means. Imagine a heavenly prosecutor who tests humans. So think of a courtroom. Think of lawyers. Heavenly prosecutor. I didn't say what you thought I just said. Think of a heavenly prosecutor who tests, or tests humans. Satan is mentioned three times in the Old Testament, three different places, most memorably in the book of Job, where Satan tests Job's faith by taking everything away except his life. Now, in the Gospels, the Greek word for Satan is diabolos, the devil. No surprise. He's also referred to as the tester, the tempter, the accuser, the prince of demons, ruler of this world, and the evil one. Satan or the devil is mentioned several times by Jesus and makes two appearances in the Gospels. Jesus names and acknowledges Satan as leader of the enemy, the force behind those possessed by demons, and the force behind Judas's betrayal of him. Satan first appears in our passage, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, and then he also appears after the Lord's Supper when he enters Judas. So this brings us to that second question. What does Jesus teach us about the devil? So let's turn our attention to today's passage, specifically Matthew 4, 1 to 11. That's page 3 in the Pew Bible. I saw somebody reaching for something in the Pew Feel free to reach on in if you don't have the Bible on your phone or with you. I want you to follow along because there's, we need to look at specifics. So page three, I'll give you a few moments to flip. And it's more engaging to have a visual aid than just to listen. 
So starting with verse 1, Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. Now you see that word tempted in verse 1. It'll come up again and again in our passage. It's the Greek verb parazane, and it means to try, to attempt, to test, to see what kind of person somebody is, to see what they're made of. That's the connotation. So think of it as a test. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, perhaps enough of a test in and of itself. And this recalls how the nation of Israel was tested by God in the wilderness for 40 days of wandering, 40 years of wandering um, before they entered the promised land. So Satan is that heavenly prosecutor and he puts Jesus through three physical and oral tests to see what kind of person he is, to see what he's made of. All right, the first test is verse 3. So take a look at that. The tester, tempter, same verb, parzane, came to him and said, Since you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The Son of God is a title reserved only for the emperor, first of all, until now. And Satan, ironically, is the first person in the Gospels to call Jesus the Son of God. Well played, God, well played. Now, this test is pretty straightforward. Jesus is hungry, and the tester is asking Jesus to use his divine powers to feed himself. Jesus answers by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. One does not live by bread only, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, here Jesus quotes Moses when Moses is reminding the Israelites that God fed them with manna in the wilderness, that they did not feed themselves. All right, the second test, verse 6. Let's go ahead and look down to that one. It's a field trip to the pinnacle of the temple, that high place that probably can be seen throughout Jerusalem. Since you are the Son of God, the devil says, throw yourself down. It's a very physical challenge here. And then the devil adds a scripture for good measure. Isn't that sneaky? Psalm 91 on eagle's wings. Anyone ever sung that song? Well, the devil likes it. <laughs> I'm getting ready. Let me, let me say the part he quoted for a moment here. He will command his angels concerning you. I'm not going to sing it, but I could have. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. It's right before the chorus. They will raise you up on eagle's wings. It's a psalm of protection from enemies. Jesus responds. He's not flustered. He responds again, quoting Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6.16. And these are all little footnotes in the Bible. If you can read that fine print, you can tell. As it is written, that means they're quoting the Old Testament. The footnote in the bottom where it is. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, that passage Jesus quoted... Moses is reminding the Israelites of how God provided water for them in the wilderness when they were thirsty and they had none. Now we're to the third test. Verse 9. 
It is an even more distant field trip into the stratosphere of a very high mountain where Jesus and the devil can see all the countries of the world and their splendor or glory. I will give you all of this, Satan says, if you fall down and worship me. Jesus responds curtly, go away, Satan. He even uses his old Hebrew name, Satan. He doesn't say devil. He calls him Satan. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy again. No surprise. Deuteronomy 6.13. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now in that passage that Jesus quotes, Moses is again reminding the Israelites of how the Lord delivered them out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom in the promised land. But what does Jesus actually teach us about the devil here? The devil tests Jesus with a series of idols. No golden calves or newly discovered American pop stars. Not, not those. Idols are any version of God that's too small. An idol is any version of God that is too small. The first idol that the devil offers Jesus is the self. I don't need God. I can feed myself and others. The idol of self-sufficiency. Sound familiar? The second idol the devil offers Jesus is a jack-in-the-box God that pops up and swoops in to rescue when requested. The idol of a self-serving God. And the third idol that the devil offers Jesus is rebellion against God, a competing kingdom. This is the offer that Darth Vader took, and Jesus did not. Now at 9 o'clock, I smoked out all of the Star Wars fans with that comment. You all, you all are keeping a poker face. This is a combination of the first two idols. When you're self-sufficient and your God is self-serving, you may as well set up your own kingdom, the idol of your own kingdom. So this brings us to the third and final question. How can we respond to evil and the devil in our daily lives? It's a question of application. These tests of Jesus seem pretty far from the everyday tests and temptations of our lives. Yet, as we heard in, um, Caitlin say in our call to confession today, I think she's seated in the congregation now, Jesus was tempted in the same ways that we are tempted. Through these tests, Jesus chooses loyalty to God and to God only. Through the everyday test of our lives, whom do we choose? So let's look at the various idols that Satan offers us to. That first idol, remember, is the idol of self-sufficiency, thinking that we can do everything on our own. An idol that's popular with two-year-olds and grown-ups alike. I do it myself. As an example, how do you think about feeding your family? You worked hard, you earned that paycheck, you used it to buy groceries, you worked some magic in the kitchen, and poof, you fed your family. Well, that's part of the story. But what if you thought about it in a different way? What if you thought of everything that you have as a gift from God? 
the breath in your lungs, the education you received, the job that you have, the farmers who help produce the food. The remedy to the idol of self-sufficiency is to be grateful to God. Recognize God as the ultimate source of everyday daily provision. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Now, the second idol that the devil offers us is that jack-in-the-box God who kind of pops up and swoops in when requested. The myth of the self-serving God. I mean, this is the idol I would choose of all three, hands down. The God of the parking space, the quick recovery, the God of the swift answer to prayer. Who doesn't want that? But the remedy to this idol of the self-serving God is to take a wider perspective, to be curious about God, and be open to the possibility that God is at work in my life and yours and all of ours, using his goodness and power across space and time to restore all of creation. Maybe God is up to something beyond our imaginations. Now the third and final idol that the devil offers us is ultimate rebellion against God. To join forces with Satan and set up a competing kingdom. Now all of us here in this room, we have realms of authority. Therefore we can all be tempted by this idol of rebellion. To use authority over instead of authority for. So to use authority over someone is to put you and your glory in the top spot that competitive drive to be the best or at least better than so-and-so and to look good doing it that's glory or you can use authority for someone on the other hand to want goodness love light restoration healing for that other person to want God's kingdom to be furthered in the world in other words, you can use your authority for yourself and your own glory or for a greater purpose. The remedies for the devil's idols are everyday habits, and they're not magic. It's hard work, friends. Being grateful to God, being curious about God, and using your authority for a greater purpose. Now I offer you a final word of warning because no sermon about the devil would be complete without a warning. The devil uses smoke screens to distract us. Kind of like candy at the checkout when your energy and will is depleted. Some of you are nodding knowingly. Snickers, M&M's, peppermint patties. Richard Foster describes these smoke screens in his classic book, The Celebration of Discipline, and he begins a chapter on meditation in this way. In contemporary society, our adversary, capital A, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Psychiatrist Carl Jung once remarked, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. End quote. Hurry is a hallmark of modern life. 
You don't have to have me tell you that. And the remedy is prayer. That chance to slow down, to step away from the noise and the crowds, and to be with God, the source of all being. And that will be a topic for next week's sermon. Mark is preaching on praying without ceasing. So to wrap things up for today. Yes, evil exists, the devil is real, and the devil's hard at work in the world. The question remains, what will you do the next time you suspect his presence? You and I will be tested this week. First, I suggest you pause. Wait for the smoke screen to clear. Reject the idols that the devil offers you. Don't give him more attention than he deserves. Focus instead on Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. Let us pray. Lord of life, source of all being, may your word take root in our hearts and our minds and our lives so that we might choose you in the tests that we face this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.